0: So, our guest speaker tonight is my mentor, uh, Pastor Benjamin Robinson, along with Pastor Sonny Robinson, his wife. They pastor the church called Living Hope Christian Center in Emeryville, California. If you don't know where Emeryville is, it is where Pixar has its headquarters. It's between San Francisco and Berkeley, and right next to Oakland. So it's the best of all kinds of different worlds. Hallelujah. Uh, but God has called Pastor Benjamin uh, to really be a light there in that city. And uh, their church community uh, is continuing to reach out to that uh, city as well as influencing the wider body of Christ. Uh, he's been here before for our Niagara Conference and for our Encounter Retreat last year or this, this year. And uh, he has come uh, back here for this week. Mainly, it's to spend time with Aaron and myself. But, you know, since he's here, why not, right? So, so he'll be ministering. We, we just want to say that to make sure that, you know, you understand that uh, relationship is first between us. Uh, it's not about doing things together. Even if we had nothing to do together, we will still meet, and we will still spend time. And that's our commitment to each other, uh, and it's uh, a beautiful uh, mentoring and relationship that we have with them. So without further ado, let's put our hands together. Let's welcome our Pastor Benjamin Robinson.
1: Amen. You're happy to be in the house of the Lord tonight. God is good, is he not? I want to say first and foremost that this is an awesome house. This is an awesome house. And what God has done here is nothing short of amazing. It's astounding. And I want to say that I'm so proud and privileged to have... I'm sorry, I'm talking in my sexy voice right now. Because it happens, it happens at a certain time of night when the cold air hits my, my vocal cords and... and uh, uh, my James Earl Jones. Um, but I, I, I want to say that I'm... It'll warm up, don't worry. I want to say that I'm so thankful to have my spiritual father here tonight. Uh, what a great, great honor and a great privilege. And, and I was almost trembling just a little bit just to see him stand on the platform because this is what God has spoken over his life uh, years ago. And the Lord told me that he was a hidden treasure in the earth. He's like a treasure hidden in the field. And, uh, almost nobody recognized everybody would just walk past and not see the treasure. But I was thankful that the Lord opened my eyes to see the treasure that he is. And in Ephesians 4:11, it says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It doesn't say that he gave some, the gift of apostleship and some, the gift of no, he gave the apostles to the church as gifts He says, this is how much I love the church. Here's an apostle. Here's a prophet. Here's an evangelist. And when we begin to see the set man and woman of God as a gift to the body of Christ, as a gift to this house, and I want to say that, first of all, the set man and woman of this house, pastors Christian and Aaron, they're a gift to you. They're a gift to you. And everything that we come, when we come, we come to strengthen their hands not to uh go around or above uh, in any way but to go through and with and to stand beside and to strengthen their hands in the work of the Lord and so we're just honored and I'm so thankful of course to have my wife who is the most gangster-fied yeah and my baby of course Alethea who I didn't see for the last week And she's already talking at a higher level than she was a week ago. And so um, thankful to be with you all here today. I feel like this is home away from home for us. And this is family. And we cherish the time that we get to spend with you folks. And when we leave, we ache to come back and be with you again. And so we're so thankful to be here tonight. And uh, we feel so much love for you and from you. And uh, we're family, and we're family for life. And uh, so I'm thankful for that. I want to share a word with you from the Lord tonight, and I don't want you to turn to it in your Bible. Matter of fact, I want you to put your Bibles down. Tonight, I want you to hear it as if the prophet of God were standing here, delivering it as if it came from the mouth of the Lord. We forget that when we read the words of Scripture, we are reading the words of the living God. Not the ancient words of a religious book, but the living word of the living God. And God said that the one he esteems is the one who trembles at his word. Jeremiah said, I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine. He said, my bones are quaking within me. He said, I'm like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. And Father, tonight in the name of Jesus, I pray that your words would come and your holy words would cause us to tremble. That we would tremble so and shake so that you would shake all of the unbelief out of us. That you would tremble so and shake so that you would shake all of the Babylon out of us. Lord, the scripture says that all things must be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And you have promised us an unshakable kingdom. And because we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, we will worship God with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. God, I pray that we would know you as the consuming fire who brings the unshakable kingdom, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And God, we are standing in the midst of a time in which things are shaken around us. Nations are shaken around us. But Lord David said, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, I will not be shaken shaken, though the earth be moved, though the mountains tremble and crumble and fall into the midst of the sea, there is a river whose streams make make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her even at the break of day. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And God, we say that the only thing that has the right to cause us to tremble is the word of the Lord. We will not tremble before the shakings of our times. We will not tremble at wars and rumors of wars. We will not tremble when the economy is shaken. We will not tremble when governments topple. We will not tremble when this world falls apart. We will not tremble, but we will tremble before the word of the living God. And so tonight, as we sense your presence, we worship you with reverence and awe. And we are receiving a kingdom. That cannot be shaken. And we thank you for it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Do I really have to be done in seven minutes and 56 seconds? Because that would be nothing short of miraculous. Oh, it's moving the other direction. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. The word of the Lord tonight comes from the prophet Malachi. A word spoken thousands of years ago. But a word spoken for today. Peter says, to them it was revealed that they were not serving themselves but us. When they spoke of the things that have now been revealed to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Malachi says, he stands up in the assembly. In Malachi chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. And don't turn there. Hear it as the word of the Lord. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come. Let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. I declare to you tonight by the word of the Lord That We are living in the latter days, and it is time for the mountain of the house of the Lord to be established as the highest of all mountains. And tonight, I establish the mountain of the Lord as the highest of all of the mountains. I say that there's no other mountain that is exalted as the mountain of the Lord. Of the house of the Lord. We are in the latter days and it's time. It's time for the people of God. And the problem is the people of God have lived with an inferiority complex for so long. We think the mountain of the house of the Lord is a low mountain. We feel inferior to the mountain of education and to the mountain of politics and to the mountain of arts and entertainment and, and to this mountain and to that mountain. And we're wanting to climb up those mountains. But the prophet of the Lord says in the latter days, every other mountain's going to look up and say, there's a mountain higher than politics. It's the house of the Lord. We're wanting to go learn the ways of politics and learn the ways of this mountain and learn, let's go learn their ways. But the prophet says in the latter days, all of these other nations are going to say, let's go learn the ways of the God of Jacob. Let's go learn the ways of the Lord. When the people of God are looking to the world and saying, I need to get a, b- a little bit of that. Jesus is looking for us to rise up and be the light of the world. The world would say, we're living in darkness, but they've got the light. But we cannot live as though we are in abject poverty before the world's wealth and think we're going to be the light to the world. When the world looks at us and sees us cringing and cowering and and living in a place of inferiority, they don't want that light because we put it under a bowl and it can't give light to everyone in the house. But I say to you that it is time for the mountain of the house of the Lord to be established as the highest of the mountains. And tonight we're establishing it because if it doesn't get established in the thinking of the people of God, it doesn't doesn't happen. The problem is not that the nations don't see that the mountain of the house of the Lord is the highest. The problem is the people of God don't see it. The problem is we think that the house of the Lord occupies a low place. The house of the Lord is being established. And God calls the house of the Lord a mountain. It's a high place. It's a mountain. The house of the Lord is not the physical building of the church. We think we're exalting the house of the Lord when we build bigger buildings. I got news for you. I don't care how big your building is. The world's got bigger buildings. We think we're establishing the house of the Lord when we have better programs. I don't care how good your programs are. The world has better programs. We think we're establishing the house of the Lord when we get better music. Well, you know what? The world's got better music. Everything that we do of excellence from a worldly perspective, there's always somebody out there that's more excellent. And the establishment of the house of the Lord does not simply mean that we learn how to do things with a greater level of natural excellence than the world does. Because the house of the Lord is not what we do, it's who we are. Remember, David said, God, I don't understand, and we're going to talk about David in a moment. David said, God, I don't understand how I can live in a house of cedar when you live in a tent. Let me build you a house. And God said, nope, 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 you're not building me a house I'm building you a house. I'm building a house. The house of the Lord is not the house that man builds for God. It's the house that God builds for God through man. God is building his house, not man. And God is exalting his house, not man. Make no mistake. The testimony of Jesus is not the testimony of men about Jesus. It's the testimony of God through men about Jesus. Nobody needs your testimony. He said, well, just share your testimony, save it. Jesus said, you'll receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. And when the power of the Holy Spirit begins to flow through you, it's God bearing witness to the resurrection of his son through you. That's the testimony of Jesus that's drastically and desperately needed in the earth. He says, David, I'm going to build a house and here's how I'm going to build it. You're never going to fail to have a son who rules. My house is the lineage. My house consists of sons and daughters. The house of the Lord that God is exalting are the sons and daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God are being exalted above every other mountain. The sons and daughters of God are becoming the mountain of the house of the Lord. So that when the nations say, let us go up the mountain of the, of the Lord, they're saying, let's go to the house of God. Let's go to the people of God. Let's go get into where the sons and daughters of God are. Something is going on there. That's not going on here because I tell you what, the purpose of the church is not the purpose of any other earthly institution. The purpose of the church is not to do what other institutions are failing to do, but that they should be doing. The purpose of the church is not to fix the family. The purpose of the church is not therapy and and, and emotional healing. The purpose of the church is not to fix the educational system. We got education for that. It's not technology. We got technology for that. The purpose of the church is to do what only the church can do. And that is to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ with power and authority. It's to manifest righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of the church. And listen, when we talk about the kingdom of God. I don't care if you're the CEO of the company. If you're not walking in power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it's not the kingdom. Paul said in first Corinthians chapter four, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. The kingdom of God is a matter of power, meaning if you don't come in power, you're not bringing the kingdom. And hell is always working on you to bring you down from the place of power into the place of weakness. The kingdom of God, Paul says in Romans 14, 17 is right. Is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of hell is constantly trying to bring you from the place of righteousness to the place of wickedness, from the place of peace to the place of fear and anxiety and from the place of joy to the place of sorrow. If he can get you to walk in weakness, wickedness, fear and sorrow, he's. Taking you out of the flow of the kingdom, and I don't care if you're the CEO, it's not the kingdom. I don't care if you're pastoring a church with 5,000 people, it's not the kingdom. But if you're manifesting power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, I don't care if you're the janitor, you're bringing the kingdom. You're hearing me tonight. God is exalting the sons and daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God manifest in the earth... is what creation is groaning... and eagerly desiring to see. Creation wants to see the sons of God... being manifested in the earth. God is exalting his house... by exalting his sons and daughters. And he's looking for sons and daughters... to exalt. But he can only exalt those sons and daughters... who are dependent upon him... and dependent upon him only. Not dependent upon the world system. Not dependent upon the secular world. Not dependent upon the economy. Not dependent upon the city but dependent upon God and God alone and when God sees sons and daughters whose hearts are completely devoted to him he shows himself strong on their behalf are you with me tonight it's time for the house of the Lord to be exalted above every mountain now we got to talk about this mountain complex this mountain concept in Psalm chapter 91 verse 14 God gives this promise he says I will set him on high because he has known my name now, that, that phrase on high is a Hebrew idiom. It means out of reach. Now, if you have some high cabinets in your home, there's stuff you can't reach. It's out of your reach. It's on high. If it's so high, you've got to call somebody else to come help you reach it. It's on high. The scripture says that the Lord is on high, meaning he's out of reach. He's out of our reach. He's out of the reach of all things. The scripture says that he's surrounded in unapproachable light, Right? The only way God is accessed and the only way that anyone who dwells on high is accessed by anything is if he condescends or that is if he comes down. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, meaning he's not just on high, but he comes down from his high place so that he can be touched by men and women. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly. He comes down into the place where he can be touched. He says, am I a God far away and not a God near at hand? He's both far away and near at hand. And the only reason he's near at hand is because he chooses to be near at hand. He could stay in the high place where we can't reach him, where we can't touch him, where he can't hear us. But he chooses to hear. He comes down in the burning bush and says to Moses, I've heard the groans of my people in Egypt. I've heard the groans of my people in bondage. I've heard their groans. I'm concerned for them. And I have come down to rescue them i've come down to set them free and so god condescends he comes down into the place of accessibility where he can be touched and that's why john writes in first john chapter one verse one that which was from the beginning which we've seen with our eyes which we've heard with our ears and which our hands have handled he came down into the place where we could see him hear him touch him where we could access him but he didn't have to because he's on high when he says, I will set him on high, what he means is I'm going to take this lowly believer and set him in a place where he's out of the reach of the devil. In a place where the devil can't touch him. The devil can stand in reach, but he can't touch you. He can jump, but he can't jump high enough to reach you. He can try to climb up through your finances, but he can't get high enough to touch you. He can try to come up through your family, but he can't get high enough to touch you. He can try to come up through witchcraft, but witchcraft can't get high enough to touch you. He can try to come up through the spirit of sorcery, but there's not enough sorcerers in the earth to give him enough height to touch you. He can try to come up through your lineage and bloodline and through generational curses, but there's not one strong enough to get to you when God sets you on high. I say that when God sets you on high, there is no power in heaven or on earth or under the earth that can touch you when God sets you on high. Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, the fact that he's looking for someone to devour means that he can't just devour anybody. It means that there are devourable believers and undevourable believers. It means that he looks at this one and says, Nope, can't devour him. Nope, no, no, nope, they're not devourable. Ah, ah got one. And he gets his chomp on. He there are some believers that he can devour like a like a like a skillet full of takkalbi. Devourable and undevourable believers. What does it mean to be a devourable believer? It means that you are susceptible to the devil. It means that the devil can come and run rough shot over you anytime he wants. But if you're an undevourable believer, you live in a place where he can't reach you no matter how far he stretches and no matter how high he climbs. What is the difference? God says, I will set you on high. When God sets you on high, listen, if you are a devourable believer, it's not God's fault. He says, those who know my name, I've set them on high. Psalm ninety-one, fourteen. The scripture says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are undevourable. It means that if the devil can devour you, it's because you've condescended. You have to come down into the place where he has access to your life. Now understand something. God is on high, but he condescends to be accessed by men, but never by devils. He's never come down to the place where the devil could destroy him or touch him or harm him. Even when Jesus was standing right next to the devil in the temptations, the devil had no access to him. He couldn't touch him. He was still on high in regard to the devil, but he was accessible and touchable in regard to men. So much so that the woman with the issue of blood could touch the hem of his garment and faith and power came out from his body and healed her. But Satan could take him to a high mountain and couldn't influence him in any way, shape or form. But we flip the script. Because as soon as God starts exalting us, we're, we're on high and out of the reach of men. I don't have time to minister that brother. Pray for her. I ain't got time for her. I just don't have time. But we very willingly and very quickly come right down into the place where the devil can just get his chomp on. We condescend to dwell among devils, but we isolate ourselves from men. And I see believers doing it all the time because as soon as you say, I didn't come to church because I was struggling, what you did was isolate yourself from people and condescend to dwell among devils. I said, I'm struggling, so I'm not going to go to the house of God where I can get set free. Instead, I'm just going to stay home all by myself and let the devil just devour me. But God never intended for his house to be a low place. He intended it to be a high place. And it's only getting higher because it's it's being exalted and established as the highest of all mountains. He wants to take you to the high place. Now, we got to take it a step further. There are many mountaintop experiences in Scripture. Some of the most famous are the mountaintop experiences of Elijah. We see in... First Kings chapter 17, Elijah, you saw what happened there. He calls the famine down on the land as a way of, of calling Israel back to God. God says, okay, you don't want to serve me. You want to worship other gods. Let them provide for you. Sometimes God does that. He wants to, re- he'll remove his hand of provision. If you don't believe your provisions coming from him. <laughs> He says, fine, let your, let, you want to worship these foreign gods? Let them give you your grain and new wine. Let them send the rain on the earth. You think it came from your lovers? Good, have at it. Have at it. And Elijah stands up and proclaims to Ahab, there will be neither rain nor dew on the earth except at my word. And then the Lord takes him away. And you know the story. He goes to the brook, drinking from the brook the ravens are feeding him the brook dries up the ravens stop we can talk about that another time a very very powerful passage but there in first kings 17 god says our first kings 18 god says okay go appear be before ahab and i'm going to send rain on the earth and he goes up to this mountain called mount carmel mount carmel he goes up to mount carmel he calls the entire assembly of israel up to mount carmel the whole multitude is there he builds an altar The prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtoreth have at it. He calls down fire on the altar. He puts to death the prophets of Baal. And then he goes up and has a prayer meeting and brings rain on the earth. It's the mountain of his ministry. The mountain of ministry is a powerful place. When the Lord takes you to the mountaintop of your ministry, he takes you to the place where you feel like you are anointed beyond your wildest imaginations, where you are privileged to do things for the Lord that you never thought possible, where you feel like, Lord, who am I that you should put me in this place and allow me to do this. When God takes you to the mountaintop of your ministry, suddenly he begins to break out through you and use you in ways that go beyond your wildest imaginations, where you find that you can turn nations to the Lord. But something interesting happens when Elijah comes down from the mountain of his ministry after the ministry's over, see the thing you learn about ministry that no matter how high the mountain is, you got to come down from it because nobody can live on the mountain of ministry. After a while, you run out of prophets of Baal to kill. <laughs> what do you do when the prophets of Baal are, have all been put to death? And the people of God have all turned their hearts back to God. There's no one left to minister to. You know, you can get so enmeshed in the ministry that it becomes your identity. And that's a problem. Because there ain't going to be no preaching in heaven. If it's who you are, you're not going to have a very good time up there. You're going to be waiting for your chance to preach and it ain't coming. No evangelism in heaven. Everybody's saved. No discipleship either. Everybody knows the Lord. They see him face to face. (laughs) Brother, I just got a revelation. We all did. He's right there. (laughs) There's no tithe because everything you own belongs to God. You belong to God. No building fund. The building's already paid for. (laughs) Streets are paved with gold. Gates made of one pearl. You try to live on the mountain of ministry, it gets lonely up there after a while because everybody's gone. Elijah comes down the hill from the mountain of ministry, and the first thing that happens is Jezebel comes at him. He receives this threat from Jezebel May the gods do to me and ever more severely if I don't make your life like one of those prophets by tomorrow at about this time. You know, when you start stepping onto the devil's territory, and taking it for god he's not happy with you you'll start getting his attention you know we went to, to ethiopia in may and saw 84,000 souls come to christ in 5 days in 5 days in 5 days we saw the blind see the lame walk the deaf hear the mute speak i mean it was it was crazy this was a mountain of ministry This is a mountain of ministry. Do you know how hard Jezebel came at us when we went home? Crazy. And Elijah, he finds himself under the broom tree and he says, God, just kill me. I mean, last night he kills all the prophets of Baal. And this morning he says, God, just kill me. Just take me home. I'm done. I'm no better than my father's. When you're on the mountain of ministry, I'm the great prophet of God. When you're under the broom tree, Lord, I'm no better than anybody else. Just kill me and end it here. And he goes to sleep under the tree, apparently waiting for God to just kill him, hoping to wake up in heaven. You ever gone to sleep and hope to wake up in heaven? Maybe I'll just die in my sleep. Instead, an angel wakes him up. Must have been an interesting experience. He's probably thinking, great, he's going to take me home. <laughs> but instead, the angel points at coals where he's baking a cake and points at a bottle of water and says, Eat and drink. He eats and drinks and says, Maybe it's poison and goes back to sleep. The angel wakes him up again and there's more bread and more water. The angel says, Eat and drink for the journey's too difficult for you to make. He eats the bread. He drinks the water and he goes on a 40 day journey to get to Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is also called Mount Sinai. It's called the mountain of the Lord. Why is it called the mountain of the Lord? Because it's the place where God met with Moses, gave him the law, sat on the mountain, introduced himself to Israel. It was the place of fire and, and smoke and, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words and it terrified the people. And Moses went into the cloud of the glory and came, home, came down gleaming and radiant. They put a veil over his face, but it was a fading glory, Paul says. The mountain of Horeb is the mountain of meeting." It's the place where he meets with God. Carmel is the mountain of ministry, is the place where he serves God. Horeb is the mountain of meeting, it's the place where he meets God. And there's a 40-year wilderness, a 40-day journey through the wilderness to get there. When he comes down from the mountain of ministry, he's got a journey 40 days through the desert to have an encounter with God. Isn't that how people feel? See, I got to step down from ministry for a few months. Why? Because I just feel spiritually dry and I need to meet with the Lord. I just need to go get spiritually refreshed and it'll take me about 40 days to get to Horeb. (laughs) So I need to take about a 40 day sabbatical from the ministry. I need a sabbatical from, I need to come down. Why? Because I'm just dry. I'm just, I've been serving the Lord so intently that I'm just dry and I just got to go through this desert And arrive at Mount Horeb where I hear God speak to me in a still small voice. And then I'll be ready to go again. How many times have I heard that? And how many times have I seen people die somewhere in the middle of that 40-day journey in the wilderness? Because they didn't know how to eat the bread and water like Elijah did. They didn't even have the strength to make it to Horeb. And their bodies fell in the wilderness. And a 40-day sabbatical for ministry turned into a complete backsliddenness. And walking away from the Lord or never entering back into the ministry or being disillusioned and feeling like, see, the, all the ministry does is drain you. Don't go into the ministry. I remember a friend of mine was getting ordained about seven, eight years ago. He invited me to preach his ordination service. I flew down to Los Angeles on a Sunday afternoon, and I got up to preach, and I, I stood before the congregation, and I was declaring the glory of serving the Lord and the power, and you're gonna see lives changed, and the power of God's gonna break out and the kingdom's gonna be established. I was so excited, and when it was over, his pastor got up, the pastor who was ordaining him, who had been in the ministry about thirty years, and he looked at me with this condescending smile. And then he looked at the crowd and said, I used to preach like him. And then he looked at my friend and said, but then I learned ministry is hard. You labor, but nobody appreciates it. You sow seed, but you don't bear any fruit. You preach, but nobody listens. When he was done, I wanted to go throw myself off a bridge. (laughs) I said, why would anybody want to go into the ministry after hearing that? I'm sitting there thinking, why are you still in the ministry? (laughs) If it's the worst thing, people treat the ministry like it's the worst thing God ever did to them was to call them to the ministry. Notice Horeb's called the mountain of, the, of God, but it's not called the mountain of the house of God. There's a different mountain. In 2 in, yeah, in Samuel chapter 5, or 1 Samuel chapter 5, David decides he's going to take that mountain. 2 Samuel chapter 5. He sees it. Now, he's be, he was anointed king in Hebron, and, he, and Hebron is in a low place. He said, the people of God have victory, but they don't occupy a high place. The people of God are saved and they have a king reigning over them, but we need to get to a high place where we're out of the reach of the devil. And he gathers the people of God around him. He says, this is what we need to do. We need, God wants to set his people on high now. He's made us his people. He's taken us out of Egypt. He's brought us through the wilderness. He's settled us in the promised land, but there's still land to take because we've taken the flatlands of the promised land, but now we got to take the higher ground because it's time for God to set us on high. David said, I'm going to rule, but God hasn't called me to rule from the plains. He's called me to rule from the mountain because when I'm on a mountain, when the enemy comes against me, he's got an uphill battle on his hands. For most believers, the devil, the devil doesn't have an uphill battle. He's got a downhill battle. When the devil has to condescend to get to you, <laughs> the devil said, Taking him is no problem. It's easy. <laughs> and so David looks up and he sees this hill called Zion, Mount Zion. And a city on top of it called Jerusalem where the Jebusites lived. And he takes his men and he says, whichever one of you takes this city, I'm going to make him the captain of the Kael. That word means power, wealth, army, military strength, might. And the Jebusites said, the blind and the lame can fend you off. The blind and the lame, we're going to put the blind and the lame on the walls and they're going to fend you off. You guys are weak. You know, as soon as you start taking something for the Lord, the devil comes to taunt you, but all he can do is taunt. Do you know that the enemy, his primary weapon against you is intimidation? (laughs) David says, all right, whichever one of you takes those blind and lame Jebusites, you're going to be my captain. And David takes Mount Zion and establishes his throne there and establishes the community of Israel there, and establishes his reign there, and establishes his rule there, and he begins to serve the Lord. He makes this mountain, Mount Zion, the mountain of his ministry, the place where he serves the Lord. But he looks over in Shiloh, where Joshua had put the Ark of the Covenant, and he put the tabernacle of Moses there, and he says, why is it that the meeting place with God is way over in Shiloh, but the mountain of my ministry is way up here in Jerusalem. It seems to me that it doesn't make sense for me to live up here and God to live down there. Let's just go get the ark and bring it up here. Now, it's interesting that Moses is commanded. Moses said, God is going to pick a place where you're to be worshipped, where he's to be worshipped. And you're not to worship him in any other place except that place. David could have just assumed... Well, Shiloh's the place. I can't change that. God said we can only worship him in Shiloh. you got a Shiloh. I can only pray at Friday Fire. You know know what a religious believer is? A religious believer is a believer who thinks he can only worship in Shiloh. And it's way over there. You ask most believers why they don't spend any time with the Lord, why they don't pray, why they don't what, well, because it's just too hard to get there. It's so far away. I've got, you know what I got to do in order to spend time with the Lord? First, I got to take care of this and then I got to pay my bills and then I got to finish studying and then I got to do this. And once I wash my clothes by that time, it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm too sleepy. I just don't have the energy to go all the way to Shiloh. Shiloh's just too far away. David says, well, let's just bring Shiloh to Zion. And he goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. We won't talk about everything involved in that, but finally he gets the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it up the hill. The priests are processing with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders as they're heading up Mount Zion. And the gatekeepers are standing at the gate. And the priests are crying out, Lift up your head, O you gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the King of Glory will come in. And the gatekeepers cry out, Who is he, this King of Glory? And the the priests cry out, The Lord, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of Glory. And the gates open. And God enters the city of Jerusalem. And David takes the Ark of the Covenant all the way to the top of the hill And he builds a tent for God right there, right next to his palace. You know what David did? He took the mountain of his ministry and the mountain of meeting and made it one mountain he said the place where I serve God and the place where I meet with him is the same place I'm never depleted in the service of the Lord why because I'm meeting with him as I'm serving him and I'm serving him as I'm meeting with him I'm never depleted I'm never why because God has taken me to the high place that only happens in the high place it doesn't happen in the low place but if you're condescending to the low place but trying to serve God in the high place you're going to get all beat up by the devil and of course you're going to feel worn out and burnt out at the end the day. Why? Because God wanted to set you on high, but you allowed the devil to take you down to the low place. It's time for the house of the Lord to be exalted. And you've got to get it in your head that what God is doing in these last, see we we've got such a theology of the suffering of the believer and don't get me wrong, you are going to suffer. It's part of the deal. But what you have to understand is that suffering is not your destiny. See, what we tend to do is we, t- we get things all out of whack because we don't understand our destiny. So, well, I just need to embrace this. The only thing you embrace is what you're destined for. Everything else is temporary. You're not destined for for poverty. You're not destined for sickness. You're not destined for suffering. You're not destined for slavery. You're destined to rule. They will rule with him for a thousand years. You are destined to reign in the earth. And they shall reign reign in the earth. You are destined to reign in the earth. You are destined to reign in the earth. But you reign as God exalts the mountain of the house of God. Not as the believers start running And seeking the world. When the believers begin to reign from the house of God and it goes down and says, for out of Zion will go forth the law. Out of Zion. When you come to the high place, you begin to speak words that are the law. And it says the law is going forth out of Zion, meaning it's not just for Zion, it's for all the earth. Do you know, God spoke to me and he said that we are supposed to establish order, not just in the house of God, but we're establishing order in the whole region. Do you know that when when an apostle speaks, he's establishing order in an entire region? And do you know that as the mountain of the house of the Lord is being exalted and being established as the highest of the mountains, we're going to speak words that's going to establish order in all the earth? The law is going forth from Zion and the word of the Lord is going forth from Jerusalem. But it's in Jerusalem and it's in Zion. It's in the high place. say, well, how do I live at the high place? Colossians chapter 3. It says to set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You want to live in the high place? You got to set your mind on the higher things, not the lower things. And here's the key. We could talk about temptation. I'm, I'm going to bring this in for a landing because I'm not going to keep you like I did in the encounter conference for for two hours in one message. You want to talk about temptation? Let me tell you what temptation is. Temptation is dependent upon unbelief. The believer who walks in faith cannot be tempted. Why? Because all temptation is, is a lie. You say, well, every man's tempted when he's led astray by his own desires. Yes, but lust is dependent upon deception. Temptation is rooted in deception. All sin starts with deception, not desire. Because the devil had to tell you you want it before you started to want it. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You want this fruit, Eve? No, I don't. God said we, we shouldn't eat it. Yeah, but you know... God's trying to keep something from you. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And when deception sets in, lust sets in. Oh, God's trying to keep that from me. Well, now I want it. And here's the key to understanding deception. Everything that the devil dangles in front of you is something you already possess. Eve, if you eat this, you'll be like God. That must mean I'm not like God. And she forgot that God formed her and Adam in his own image and likeness. You already are like God. Jesus, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all this. But the earth is already mine and the fullness thereof. (laughs) What in the name of me are you trying to pull? When the devil tempts you, he says, come here, let me give you some pleasure. You know how you should respond? But in his presence, is fullness of joy and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I live in his presence. So how can you give me pleasure? I've already got it. Come here, I'll give you this wealth. But the scripture says that riches and wealth are with the wise. It's already with you. You already got it. Not to mention you're a citizen of heaven. And in your city, the streets are paved with gold. The gates are made out of one pearl. How can you give me wealth? Come here. I'll give you acceptance. Acceptance. I'll give you fame. Popularity, which is just acceptance, glorified. You're going to accept me? But I've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What are you trying to pull, devil? I remember, the, I remember this woman who kind of had lost her mind. She came to church one morning, and it happens a lot. But but uh, no. <laughs> but this particular woman, she, she was there early, and, and she asked me to pray for her. She said, you a man of God? I said, yes. I said, then pray for me, man of God. And I said, well, what do you need? She goes, you're a prophet. You tell me. And I said, okay. <laughs> I said, Father, just bless her. He's already blessed me. And touch her. And he's touched me already too. Lord, provide for her needs. Already provided for my needs. Lord set her free. I am free. Pray for something new, honey. And I thought, this woman's crazy, but she does have a point. If the devil can't convince you to take it from him in a counterfeit version, he'll convince you to spend the rest of your life asking God for it. And there are certain things God just will not do. One of them is he will not do what he's already called done. He will not do it again. He just won't. Just won't. That's why when you're praying, Lord, forgive me. Are you serious? (laughs) What was the cross about? How about this one? Lord, deliver me. Set me free. From who? <laughs> Father, Jesus, didn't they read that I disarmed powers and principalities and made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over? Didn't they read that you did that by the cross already? That it's that, that's, two, that's a 2,000. You're praying for something I did 2,000 years ago. John said in 1 John chapter 2, he said, I write to you little children because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Have been. The devil wants to bring you into the gray when it's black and white. Either you're forgiven or you're not. The fact is you are forgiven. I write and little children learn that. When we're in our spiritual infancy, all we're learning is that we're forgiven. And we got to learn it again and again and again. It's like the outer court. My my spiritual father, he'll talk about this, but the outer court of the tabernacle or the temple. What's in the outer court? Nothing but the golden laver, the wash basin, and the brazen altar. Nothing but washing and sacrifice. Washing and sacrifice. That's where the little children dwell is in the outer court. Just being washed and making sacrifice. Washed and making Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God. (laughs) And then it says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. Because you've overcome the evil one. And because the word of God lives in you. What we learn in our spiritual adolescence is that we can beat up the devil. that We can knock him out. That if he steps in the ring with us, it's lights out. It's KO every time. And we never hit the mat. He hits the mat every time. We learn that in, as young men. And, and it corresponds to the inner court. What's in the inner court? The golden lampstand, light, and the showbread, which is the bread of presence. Light means revelation. The bread is presence or the word of God. So young men go into the inner court and they learn that they can eat the bread of presence, the word of God, and they get the light of revelation. And suddenly God's speaking to you. Suddenly you're not battling for forgiveness of sins all the time. Now you're fighting the devil and knocking him out, and fighting the devil and knocking him out, and coming back into the presence of God, and fighting the devil and knocking him out. But then it goes beyond that. Because, see, we think that sounds great. Everybody said amen when I said that, right? (laughs) We just want to live in that adolescent stage. But then he says, I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. Meaning your God consciousness has transcended your devil consciousness and transcended your sin consciousness. You're not even aware of sin anymore. You're just overwhelmed at the heavenly vision of God. You just begin to know him who is from the beginning. And that's all you see is him who is from the beginning. And somebody says, but you got sin. Oh, oh, probably. But I just see him who is from the beginning. He said, but the devil's going to come at you. Uh, Oh, he is. Uh, That's right. I forgot. There is a devil, isn't there? But he's a defeated foe. I haven't heard from him in so long. You know, they're, they're believers. They're believers that are more intimate with the devil than they are with Jesus. Whenever they share with you, whenever they tell you some revelation they got, it's always a demonic revelation. <laughs> you know? He said, I got a word from Satan yesterday. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Seriously, because I say the devil told me the devil told me that and then the devil told me he was going to do this But I said no you won't devil and then the devil told me he was going to do But I said no, you won't devil and then the demon came into my room and I said get out devil And then the devil and the devil was about this tall I mean they'll describe the clothes he was wearing The way he smelled the size shoe he had the kind of nose He was wearing the kind of hat he was wearing get all kind of demonic revelations but John starts, First John chapter 2, he says, that which was from the beginning which we've seen. And he's not talking about seeing the devil. Our hands have handled Jesus. Our eyes have seen Jesus. Our ears have heard Jesus. God wants us to transcend even our victory over the devil. So we're not even worried about even being victorious about him because he's a non-issue. All we see is him who was from the beginning. We just see God. We see Jesus made for a time a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, but now exalted to the right hand of God. All we're worrying about is that every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm not worried about the devil. I'm not worried about my sins. They've all been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ.
0: Mmm. Mmm.
1: And so we go beyond the inner court into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is the throne room. It's even beyond the presence. Did you know there's something beyond the presence of God? God wants you to go beyond his presence. You know, what, you know what's beyond the presence of God? The throne room. You know the difference between being in the presence and being in the throne room? Is that when you're in the presence of God, he comes to you. But when you're in the throne room, you go to him. He will visit you and you'll live in the presence. But when you begin to visit him, when he takes you up into the heavenlies and suddenly you're in the throne room and that is the place that we're commanded to come boldly. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace. And you must understand that grace is not mercy. We have misunderstood the two. Mercy has to do with the forgiveness of sin. Grace does not. When we think of receiving grace, we're thinking of, oh, and receiving a covering for my sin. No, no, no. That was handled in the outer court. That's handled long before you ever get to the throne of grace. If, if, if you haven't handled, I mean, if, you know, if, if the blood of Jesus didn't handle that, you never make it to the throne of grace and you definitely don't make it there with boldness. <laughs> you get smitten on the way in. Without a blood covering, you don't make it there, but with the blood covering, you come boldly knowing that you left your sins back there and you left the devil back there and you're not here to wrestle with either one. Mercy is when God does not give you what you do deserve. Grace is when he gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when he doesn't pay you the wages of sin. You know God owes you. The wages of sin is death. God says, you worked real hard for this. And I'm not going to have any wages crying out against me. <laughs> Nobody's calling the labor commission because I failed to pay their wages. The wages of sin is death, but God says, in my mercy, let the labor commission come. How about this? Instead of paying you, I'll pay my son Jesus for it. That's mercy. Jesus says, just give me all of the paychecks. That's what the cross is. Mercy is when he doesn't pay us the wages for sin. Grace is when he gives us the kingdom. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And it doesn't say it's the father's good pleasure to withhold his wrath from you. The father's not pleased simply by the withholding of wrath. He's pleased when he's able to give you the kingdom. And what God is looking for are sons and daughters that he's able to give the kingdom to. And you are the sons and daughters of God, and it pleases him to give you the kingdom. And when he gives you the kingdom, he gives you power. When he gives you the kingdom, he gives you righteousness. When he gives you the kingdom, he gives you peace, and he gives you joy in the Holy Spirit. But Satan has a system called Babylon. It's also called the harlot And it is designed to pull you out of the flow of the kingdom to take you down from the place of power to the place of weakness to take you down from the place of righteousness to the place of wickedness to take you down from the place of peace to the place of fear and to take you down from the place of joy to the place of sorrow. And you have to fight against that harlot spirit. But the only way you do it is by allowing your mind to remain in the high place. You're a mountain. And if you dwell in the high place. Keep your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God then suddenly you come into the flow of his exceeding great power towards us who believe. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, it is like the working of his mighty power which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all power and principality and dominion and might and every name that was named both in this age and that which is to come. When God sets you on high, he sets you in that high place right there with Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. No devil in hell can touch you. The devil has No access to your life. No access to your life. And I'll end with this. We were in in Ethiopia. We had a deliverance tent behind the platform. There were 300,000 people there at the crusade. And every night there were about 300 people manifesting demonically. And the ushers would pull them out of the crowd, take them into the deliverance tent. And I mean, demons were coming out of people screaming. And I mean, people were writhing. And I mean, it was just demons everywhere. Demons galore. It was just a demon fest. And one of the local pastors, he said, you see all these people that are getting delivered? We said, yeah. He said, this isn't the first time they've been delivered. They come to our churches. They manifest demons. Our deliverance team leads them in deliverance, gets them free, sends them home rejoicing. On their way home, they hear a rustling in the bushes and feel a little itch on their shoulder. And they say, oh, no, the devil's back and he's stronger than ever. And because their minds come down into the place where they believe the devil can take them again, he does. And he says, what our people need is not more deliverance, but they need to be established in their thinking. You know what makes you undevourable? Learning, first of all, to believe that you are undevourable. Just believing what Jesus did for you on the cross believing what he does for you by the power of the Holy Spirit, believing that you are seated in heavenly places in Christ, that's when he begins to exalt you. And then number two, walking in that place. It says there in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David began to reign when he was 30 years old, and he reigned 41 years. I don't care when you began to reign. The question is, will you continue to reign? And you continue to reign by keeping your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And if you keep your mind in that high place, no devil in hell will touch you. Jesus said to his disciples, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the devil, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. you got to believe that. And if you believe that, suddenly the mountain of the house of the Lord is being exalted. And the mountain of the house of the Lord is taken to a higher place when your mind moves into a higher realm. That's all it takes. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that it's time. Lord, the prophet Micah said that this would happen in the latter days, and I say that the latter days is today. The mountain of the Lord is being established tonight. I declare it and I decree it. In Jesus' name, the mountain of the Lord is being established. And right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I lift up the thinking of your people. I call your minds and hearts out of the low place and into the high place. For many of you, the place next to Jesus that you have been created to occupy is vacant. Even though you've been seated there, you've condescended, you've come down to dwell among demons. Some of you have isolated yourselves so that you can't be touched by men, but you've made yourself very available to be touched by demons. But tonight I'm not calling to you to deliverance because deliverance happened 2000 years ago when Jesus hung on a cross between earth and heaven. I'm simply calling you to begin to occupy your place. I'm calling you to begin to reign with Christ. And I don't care what your eschatological perspective is. You're not going to wait for some day to reign with Christ. You're going to begin to reign with him today. You're going to begin to reign with him today. You're going to come out of that low place where you're susceptible to all of the temptation that the devil brings your way. That temptation starts with deception. Deception. He's deceived you into thinking there's something missing. There's something wrong. There's something broken. There's something deficient. I say that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You are more than conquerors through him who loved you. You have all things. There's nothing missing. The scripture says of the righteous man that wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. And I say to you tonight in the name of Jesus that you have everything you need, everything. You've got his good and precious promises. You've got his good and precious promises. And I say that there's no good thing that God has withheld from you or he will withhold from you. And some of you are here tonight... (coughs) And the only thing you're in bondage to is the lie that God has withheld something from you. I break that off of your life tonight in the name of Jesus. I break it off of your life tonight in the name of Jesus. And I say that you're strong. And you're going to be strong from this night forward. You will never again allow yourself to go down into the place of weakness. Satan has worked over time to pull you out of the flow of the kingdom. Like Nebuchadnezzar, the scripture says his understanding departed and the kingdom departed from him. And he went and started to eat grass like cattle. Some of you, your understanding has left and the kingdom departed. The prodigal son, it says he started eating, eating with the pigs. But then it says he came to his senses and said, I will return to the father. Listen, there's a return to the father that's happening in this night tonight. He said, I'm returning as a slave. But the father said, no, once I make you a son, you can never be a slave. I don't care how badly you've messed up. Once I make you a son, you can never be a slave. I don't care how far off the kingdom is that you've departed to. Once you become a son, you can never be a slave. I'm here to put the robe on your shoulders, the ring on your finger, the shoes on your feet, and to kill the fatted calf. You're coming back to your place of authority. You're coming back to your place of reign. You're coming back to your place of power. You're coming back to your righteousness. The scripture says he gives us the spirit that we may know the things that we've been freely given by God. The Holy Spirit comes to say, I'm here to reveal to you the righteousness that you didn't know you had. I'm here to reveal the power that you didn't know you had. I'm here to reveal to you the peace that you didn't know you had. Some of you are here saying, I don't have any peace. That's a lie. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you, but as the Father gives. The Holy Spirit says, I'm coming to reveal to you the peace that you didn't know you have. But it's in you. It's in you because the Spirit of God lives in you. It's in you because God lives in you. It's in you because the kingdom of God is within you. You are not powerless. You are powerful. And you have everything you need. You've got it. You've got it. You've got it. You've got it. I feel like God wants to release the fire of God on some people right now. I want you just to stand. I'm not going to open the altars because I feel like they'd flood. So just stand right now. Lift up your hands and just ask God to pour the fire. And I'm talking about the fire that comes to seal your thinking. To sear it. To sear it, you know when a wound is opened up and there's no stitches around, you can sear that wound with fire so that the bleeding stops. God is coming tonight in the fire of the Holy Spirit to sear the wounds in your mind, the fissures in your mind where your faith is bleeding out. Your faith has been bleeding out. Your hope has been bleeding out. But from tonight, I say that the bleeding stops. And I say that God is replenishing your faith. And you're going to hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. For he who promises is faithful. And his promises, his promises, his promises are the power by which you escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. And participate in the divine nature. Open your mouth right now and ask him for his fire.